Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. Last week, we talked about the church of Thyatira. And God says at the end of that, if you remember, hold fast to what you're doing. Now, that's an especially important word today because of a lot of the church world is not holding fast to the Word of God. A lot of the church world has gone insane with some of the doctrines that are being preached from the pulpit. It's just crazy, some of the things that's being taught. And when the Lord is speaking to John on the island of Patmos, and he's talking about the first church and the, the, the attacks of the enemy in the first church, we know that he's repeating himself here in the last church. And so he says, hold on to what you know is true. And then he says, keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I don't want to take a lot of time in this, but most of you know that ancient Jewish wisdom says that right before every one of us was born, right before every one of us was born, our souls stand before the throne of God. And when our souls stand before the throne of God, God gives us a mission. And that mission is what we are to accomplish as individuals and as a body jointly fit together. Now, it's very important in what I'm going to teach that we understand that, that each one of us has a mission. It's not just the church has a mission. You are the church. Every one of you, every one of us has a mission. We are a body jointly fit together. Now, that's very important that you hear that and remember what I'm saying because of what I'm about to teach. We we are a body jointly fit together. I heard um, Dr. Jeremiah teaching on end times this morning, and he said that um, the chief rabbi of Israel, right when Israel became a nation for the first time, which is, by the way, Ezekiel 37. We're going to talk about that. And everybody said this would never happen. Israel would never become a nation. It's impossible. It's never happened in the history of the world. But God said it would happen. And when it happens, that generation would, would see the coming of the Messiah, the second coming. Israel became a nation in 1948. And the chief rabbi and, and uh, Harry Truman was the president of the United States. And Harry Truman was the first one. I've stood on the balcony when Harry Truman, where, where in Jerusalem, when Harry Truman called. And Harry Truman was the first one to welcome Israel as a sovereign nation. And the chief rabbi said to Harry Truman in the White House, he said, God put you, Mr. President, in your mother's womb so that you would be born for this very moment to bring fulfillment to Bible prophecy. And they said they looked over to Harry Truman and his eyes were filling it with tears. It's not a coincidence that you and I are born right now. Let me say that again. We could have been born any time in the history of the world. It's not a coincidence that you and I, who have a mission from God, are born at this time to see the second coming of the Messiah not a coincidence. So we see that in the church of Thyatira, God says, keep doing what you're doing. Don't get off on these false doctrines. Keep doing what you're doing. And he says, if you keep doing what you're doing and don't get off on false doctrines, continue to do what I've called you to do. And and I I just want to throw this in. You know, one of the great prophecies amongst Judaism is right before the coming of the Messiah, the eyes of the Gentiles will be open. 
Paul talks about the one new man, the wall between Jews and Gentiles coming down. You and I are doing that. You and I are working for the last uh, 30 years or so of tearing down the walls between Jews and Gentiles so the Messiah can return. It's an incredibly important mission. Rabbi Lappin calls it a holy mission that we, where, where the world has has, is growing in anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is stronger right now in the world than it was during the time of Hitler. Now, I'm going to show you anti-Semitism in this prophecy. But you and I, instead of being a part of anti-Semitism, you and I are tearing down the walls, and we're becoming with Israel as one new man. Amen? Amen. And the Bible says that when you do this and you continue on with this mission and don't get distracted from it and don't get off on this and don't get off on that. He said, number one, he said, I will give you power over nations. This is the end time. This is, this is, the, this is the, the time in which God must release signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Spirit and offices once again like he did in the first church. But the latter rain will be greater than the former. And then he says, and we studied this last week, and if you didn't hear it, please get that teaching. One of the greatest revelations I think God has ever given me, he said, I will give you the morning star. And we know that Jesus is the morning star, but he's not saying, I will give you me. We talked about that. When he talks about him being morning star, it's divine, capital M, capital S. But he says, I will give you, I will give you the morning star. And we realized that the morning star is Esther. Esther is the morning star. Israel, the the Jewish people... At the time of Esther, and just to lay this down, because normally on the, our service for Purim, I tell the whole story of Purim. And if you've never heard it, it's, it's, what, it's one of my favorite services. Because you go through this and every single thing seems to be going wrong. Now, I'm not going to tell the story today because God has given me a very special message for Purim today. But if you look at this, the book of Esther, and, and I think I've shared this with you, the book of Esther almost didn't make it in the Bible. Because when they got together and said, what are we going to put in the, in the Torah? What are we going to put in the Tanakh? What are we going to put in the Old Testament? Esther was almost eliminated because Esther, nowhere in the book of Esther does it mention the name of God. In fact, in Hebrew, it's called Hester Panim, which means the hidden face of God. But that's the purpose of Purim, which we, which is Wednesday and Thursday. That's the purpose of this Moedim, this appointed time, to let you know that when things look like they're in total chaos, when things look like they're totally out of control, we can't see God, feel God, touch God, smell God. God is working behind the scene. And what Satan has met for evil, God is actually using those. All things work together for good. God is using those things behind the scene. And at the end, he turns the story upside down. And what looked like a disaster, what looked like total chaos, was actually a well-orchestrated plan in the hands of God. Now, this is the story of... Purim. This is the story of Esther. Esther. This is the story of the morning star. And so when we look at that, the book of Esther, things are in chaos. We look at our world today, and you know, our world is changing every day. You know, I, I got how long? How many years ago did we get saved? 46, 46 years ago, we talked about Bible prophecy, and, you know, every 10 years or so, something looked like it might be Bible prophecy. We're seeing Bible prophecy change by the hour. It's an acceleration. And the reason for that acceleration is to get our attention. One, that we don't miss it, and two, we do all that we can do 
and we understand that it may seem like it's in chaos. It may seem like it's totally in chaos, but in reality, what Satan is meaning for evil right now, at this very moment, in our lives, in our world, God is using it for good. Now, if I ever get through the seven churches of Revelation... I've been thinking about doing another series on in the book, out of the book of Revelation, concerning Revelation. And so just in my spare time, I've been studying how close are we to the Battle of Armageddon? Now, the Battle of Armageddon, if we can pull up the map of Europe that I asked the guys to get, in the Battle of Armageddon, Armageddon is... World War III. Armageddon is the great last battle. It actually talks about Telmegedo, which is a, 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 a hill in, in Israel that uh, is called Megiddo. And they say that, and we might pull up a picture here in a little bit, but they say that this is where the last war will take place and the Messiah will return. Now, in reality is, yes, it will. Napoleon passed through there, Alexander the Great passed through there. They said, this is the greatest natural battlefield in all the world. But the Battle of Armageddon, although it will end there in Israel, is really a world war. It's a war, if you read the prophecies, it's a war that's taking place and literally engulfing every nation of the world. So with all that's going on right now and the fulfillment of Bible prophecy literally day by day by day, how close are we? World War III. Read with me in Ezekiel chapter 38. And and if you get a chance, read Ezekiel 37 uh, when you get home because Ezekiel 37 is about can these bones live? It's about the rebirthing of the land of Israel. It's dead. The bones have no flesh. They're scattered. And God said, I'm going to bring them back together. I'm going to put them back together. I'm going to breathe in them. I'm going to give them flesh. And the birthing of the nation of Israel, and I know you know this, but to be honest with you, most of the world and even most of the church does not understand the miracle of Israel becoming a nation again. After 2,000 years of Israel becoming a nation, the Jews have no government. They have no light. They don't even have a language. They don't have an army. They're all over the world. And that's why God says this great exodus that will bring the Messiah will make Charlton Heston and Israel and coming out of Egypt, it'll make that pale. And, and why would it make it pale? Well, here's, here's, here's Egypt, and that's where all the Jews are, and here's Israel. I actually stood one time in, in Israel, and I, I, we, were down by, we were down by the Red Sea on the border of Egypt, and uh, I had never been in Egypt, and I went hiking up in the mountains uh, behind the hotel there by myself, and I'm actually on a—there's a fence. It's a barbed wire fence. And I thought, you know, I've never been in Egypt. I'd like to be in Egypt. So I put my foot through. And I'm going, you know, I'm in the middle. They told me later, that whole fence line is watched by soldiers on cameras. And so they're up there looking, look at this idiot. Gotta be, it's gotta be from America. He's gotta be. I got my one foot in there. I'm going, I'm in Egypt. And I'm going, so I have been in Egypt. But it's right next to each other. But God said this next exodus and by the way, this morning I got, I got a uh, text right before I came out from Jerusalem and said right now Israel is getting ready to bring in 100,000 Jews out of Russia and Ukraine and all their families, and all their families. And so this is, this is the fulfillment of prophecy of Jews coming together. This is, this is Ezekiel chapter 37 can these bones live and the prophet goes you know lord if you say so it looks impossible even the prophet said it looked impossible and he said no it's going to happen 
All right, so now look at Ezekiel 38. Keep the map up there, please. Ezekiel 38, let's just read a couple verses getting us into how close are we to the battle of Armageddon. Ezekiel 38, verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses, horsemen, in splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields of all them handling swords. Now, let me, let, keep your finger there. Let me just throw this in as a side note. The hook, and, and almost every Christian and well, everyone that I've uh, talked to or studied with, Christian and Jew, says, what is that hook that will bring Gog and Magog? And I'm going to show you Russia, Persia, Turkey. What's that hook? Well, I believe that hook is oil. Right now, America is using Russia as our negotiator between America and Iran. Now, tell me that's not insane. We're using Russia as our mediator between a country that has vowed. Now, and let me just throw this in. The Iranian people are sweet people. It's just a couple of these religious psychos that is causing all the problems. And that's always the way it is. You know, people who know God love one another. People who are religious fight with each other. It's the way it always is. And so right now we are making, we are redoing a deal with an enemy that has vowed to destroy us and Israel. And if this deal that our present administration, who I did not vote for, makes this deal, Iran gets somewhere between 140 and 150 billion dollars. And the hands off, they never stop working on nuclear weapons. They've never stopped. They've never stopped. And this would force Israel into a preemptive attack against Iran, which would disrupt oil from Iran, China, and Russia. And without getting into all that, that's the hook. That's, that's, that's your hook. That's why the devil doesn't want us producing our own oil right here in America. Right? Okay, so side, side note on that. Verse 5, Persia, which is Iran... Ethiopia, which is Cush, Libya, which is Put, are with them, and all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer, which is Germany, and all its troops, the house of Togarma from the far north, which is Turkey, and many people are with you. Prepare yourself and, ready, and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. Uh, all right, so look at where we are right now. Is if you uh, go to go to uh, verse fifteen. Did I have you pull that up? Go. Can you go to verse fifteen? Look what it says. Then you will come from your place out of the far north, and you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, etc. The, the Hebrew translation doesn't say far north. The Hebrew translation says the furthest north you can go. The furthest north you can go. Well, what is north of Israel? It's Russia. There is nothing further north than Russia. This is as far north as you can go. We see Russia coming down in through Ukraine... The prophecy is on Armageddon that it will begin to embrace and include Turkey and 
Persia and Iran and Iraq and all these things. And so I've been studying this for several months now, and I begin to look at this, and I'm wondering how close are we now with Russia to Armageddon? We already know that Putin has his finger on the red button, and he is not a normal guy, right? And we all understand that if he pushes the button, everybody else is pushing the button, and then we have fulfillment of these prophecies that seemed 50 years ago impossible to ever take place as far as World War III and the end of the world as we know it. So I'm looking at this, and I'm wondering, with Russia making its move right now, he's threatening, how close are we to the coming of the Messiah? Now, Jesus said in Matthew and in the book of Luke, the wicked servant says the master delays his coming. So I want to say this. There is nothing that has to be fulfilled for the master to come. Because even if we think, all right, we've got Bible prophecy tuned in. We, we you know, s- since I got saved and, and the, uh, the scholars of m- that were leading us Doctrine has changed because the closer we get to the end, the more is revealed. Amen? So the wicked servant says the master delays his coming. He can. Let me say this right now. Jesus could come before we go home today. Amen? But I think we may have, I may be able to prove we've got a little time. Now, I could be wrong. Amen. You know, uh, that's the thing about pastors is pastors are, are, we never want to admit we're wrong. I I, I love to find out when I'm wrong. Because if I find out I'm wrong, that means I found out something that was right. Doesn't bother me at all. Doesn't hurt my pride. If I, if I'm wrong here and God shows me something, I'm I'm closer to the truth. Amen. Isn't that right? Isn't that, isn't that a nice way to live? So it doesn't upset me if, if I find out I'm wrong. Uh, I, I, None of us knows this exactly, but the way I see it right now, I would say that we are at least seven years and one second away from (laughs) Armageddon. Can you bring up my timeline? And the reason I say that, and once again, let me say, we might be wrong. We might not have this thing figured out, but I think we're pretty close to understanding where we are on God's timetable. Now, you've seen this before. I've used this before. Right now, here we are in Purim. Then we have Passover. Then we have Shavuot, Pentecost. Then we have Elul. Then we have uh, uh, Yom Kippur. Then we have Sukkot. Then we have the uh, thousand-year millennium. And, And all of this so far has fallen in exactly the way God says it would happen. And I, I can't remember if I taught this. I, I teach so many different places. But there's like 300, and 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus. And every one of those prophecies happened exactly the way God said it would happen, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. I think there's 600 or so prophecies concerning the second coming. And so if 300 happened exactly the way the Lord said it would happen, I think on the second coming, they're going to happen exactly the way God says it would happen. And this is why we have Bible prophecy, okay? Now, we know that the Lord came on the first time he came on Passover. We know that then the day of Pentecost had fully come. We understand these, and I'm not going to give this because I've already taught this. I believe personally that the rapture happens, I believe, and I could be wrong. It, it, it could happen, it could happen, you know, January 1st. But the way I'm looking at it, the following pattern, I believe the rapture will happen sometime on Rosh Hashanah, and then you have seven years, and then you have 
Yom Kippur, the second coming. I, I just want to throw this in real quick because a lot of people are confused. The rapture and the second coming are two completely different things. Does everybody know that? Okay, the rapture is not the Lord coming. The rapture is us being taken up. And when we're taken up, then for seven years, earth will be terrible. Beyond anything we can imagine. Horrible, right? Okay. I believe that we are... We are moments away from the rapture. And I'm going to show you something here. I believe we're moments away from the rapture. Now, I don't know if it's today. I don't know if it's come Rosh Hashanah. I don't know if it's a year from now to here. But we are, we are close. Ezekiel 37 says when Israel becomes a nation, that's the last generation. Israel became a nation in 1948. A generation, a lot of people have a different definition of what a generation is, but a generation, simply put, is those who are born during that time in their lifetime will see the coming of the Messiah. Israel became a nation in 1948. I was born in 1950. I'm in that generation. I will see the coming of the Lord in my generation. Okay? Some of you are starting trying to figure out how old I am. He said, man, you look a lot older than that, but that's, it's, I was rode hard and put up wet in the early days. So the rapture takes place. All Christians, all God's people, the Jews who are following the Torah, Christians who are following the Lord, we're raptured. The Antichrist comes on the scene And for seven years of tribulation till the second coming, for seven years, Antichrist rules the earth. One world government, one world religion, one world economy. We're so close to that right now. You go to Europe, and I'm going to be speaking to members of parliament, great honor speaking, and it wasn't that many years ago, you went from one country to another country, you had to have your passport stamped. Today, they don't do that. It's one common country, one common. They're very close to having one ruler over the entire country. This has all been changing in the last couple of years. But here's what happens, and, and I hate to say this. I hate to say this because you hear a lot of preachers say, well, right before the rapture, there's going to be a great revival, It's not in the Bible. I believe there'll be a great awakening. I believe the church will wake up and realize we got to quit bickering with each other about this and that. Well, do you baptize in the name of Jesus? Do you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost? Do you sprinkle? Do you dunk? Shut up. Just get in line. Let's, Let's just all serve God. There's going to be a tearing down of denominations. There's going to be tearing down of, of, of racial difference on Sunday morning. God doesn't, God doesn't care if we're white or black or brown or we speak with an accent or we don't speak with an accent. Let's get along with one another. Six things I hate. The seventh is an abomination. He who sows discord. Amongst the brethren. Well, I don't believe like he does, and I don't believe like he does. You know what? We're all looking through a glass darkly. Let's just get along. Right? Let's just, let's just get along with one another. And I think, you know, I, as a matter of fact, I'm, I've just been asked to speak and, and pray at that three million man march in Brazil. Uh, we're actually going to be in Israel, going to fly from Israel to, in July. I think we ought to do a unity march here in Dallas of of a power called us and tear down the walls between Jew and Gentile, tear down the walls between races and colors and 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 ethnic differences. And let's just let's just stand together and get along with one another. How, How many think that'd be a good idea? So. All right. So. When I say I think perhaps 
I can prove to you that we are at least seven years and one second away from Armageddon is Armageddon doesn't take place until the second coming. We won't take time in the reading all the scriptures, but if you read the book of Revelation 16 and and Revelations 19, we have seven years of tribulation. Sometime, and it's debatable when this will happen. Some say at three and a half years. Some say uh, at the beginning of the tribulation. I personally lean towards the beginning, that after um, the rapture takes place, the Antichrist begins the rule and reign with the world. The Bible says, I think it's Revelations 11, the Bible says the two witnesses will rise up in Jerusalem and they will preach that Jesus is the Messiah for three and a half years. I believe that happens at the very beginning of the rapture, that Elijah and Moses stand in the streets of Jerusalem with CNN videoing them and MSNBC videoing them, and Fox News videoing them. And these guys, Moses and Elijah, who were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, will show up again, and they will preach that Jesus is the Messiah. Out of Moses, who is the head of all of Judaism, especially concerning the Torah, and Elijah, who is the head of all of Israel, especially concerning prophets, these two witnesses will be so anointed. Now, the whole three and a half years, the Antichrist will try to kill them. And anyone who comes against them, fire will come out of their mouths and smoke them dead. Now, that's something I want to see on CNN. That would be worth turning CNN on for. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. Out of Elijah and Moses preaching the gospel, there will become 144,000 radical Jewish evangelists that will preach the word of God worldwide. This is the worldwide revival. This is the world. Matter of fact, the Bible says, So many people will be saved that you won't be able to count them. Now, I believe where we're at right here is a great awakening. This is the birth pangs. This is what we're feeling. This is what God is saying to every one of us. That's why in the church of Thyatira, he says, I'll give you power over the nations. He says, I'll give you the morning star. No, no more burden will come upon you. We're going out of glorious pride. Read what it says. No, I'll put no more burden on you. We're going to start seeing signs and wonders and miracles. Everything we put our hands to, God is going to prosper. Every place we put the sole of our feet, God will give it to inheritance. We're going to have authority and dominion the way we were supposed to with that before Adam and Eve fell. There's going to be great authority. And he said, I'll give you the morning star. I, what, what Satan's meant for evil, I'm going to come in. And this is Purim. And I will come in. This is Esther. I will come in. This is that appointed time right now. And I will turn this story up upside down but only for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear that's the only ones that it work for now remember in ancient hebrew there's no word for and there's no word for obedience in other words jesus said they have eyes but they don't see now I'm about to show you something that I hope will blow your mind in a good way. Jesus said they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear what the Spirit is saying. There's no word for coincidence. We just studied, I'll give you the morning star. But we also studied that as God brings, and the morning star is the light, in the middle of darkness it's always darkest before the dawn and before the dawn i'll give you a light 
showing, promising you a new beginning is coming. Right? Right? It may be dark. It's the darkest. It's the coldest. But you see that I was up this morning before dawn and took our puppy out. And I'm standing there and I go, there's the morning star. And man, it was cold, it was dark, but there's the promise, a new dawn is coming, right? A new dawn is coming, right? Okay, so the mo- I wish that I was this well organized, that last Purim, I said, you know what? The world's going to be in chaos And so next Purim, I'm going to be teaching the seven churches of Revelation. And I'll just keep extending it out until we hit the church of Thyatira and we get to the morning star. And I'll teach the morning star the week before Purim. Anybody on staff can tell you that is not the way I flow. It is whatever is it. I I can be coming out of my office and change before I get to the pulpit. I just, that's the way I flow. I just, what I'm feeling in the spirit. Okay. So here we just studied last week that if you'll be the morning star for someone, I will be the morning star for you. Right. How many of you received Jesus? Now, as my father sent me, I'm sending you. We get the light. Now we be the light, right? What God did in on Purim with Israel, Mordecai said to Esther, for such a time as this, why did God choose us to be alive right now today? For such a time as this, to do what he's called us to do. Now watch this. So I'm studying this, and at first I'm looking at Russia coming down against Ukraine. I understand the Bible prophecies as well as I can of God bringing them down, coming down, picking up the other countries, picking up Turkey, all, all uh, Germany, all these countries that are anti-Semitic as never before. And I started looking at this, and I'm thinking, is this fulfillment of Bible prophecy in Armageddon? Then I started realizing, well, Armageddon doesn't take place at least for seven years. If the rapture took place now, now let me say this, you want to make the rapture. If you can't live for God now, you'll never die for him later. And and I don't say that lightly. You don't want to miss the rapture. You want to make sure you're serving God. You want to make sure you're being what God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do. So if you bring the timeline back up, so if the rapture took place now, right now, boom, then we have seven years, if we're seeing Bible prophecy correct, before Armageddon, because Armageddon is all the nations of the world coming to war, and it ends in Megiddo, in the valley. I've stood there. I've stood there many times on Tel Megiddo. It was a crossroads where, like I said, Napoleon came through, and Alexander came through, and all the generals and the armies of the world came through. It's a vast valley. Can you bring up a picture of that? Do we have a picture of that? It's a vast valley. I was standing on one time reading, and we had a tour with us, and you're looking out at this valley that goes all the way to Jerusalem. And you're reading the scriptures where it says the armies of the world will, will meet here. China will come across the Euphrates and Russia will be there. Now it's worldwide, but it will, it will finish here. And the Lord will come back on a white stallion. I was standing up on Tel Megiddo looking at this and talking about this. This was, gosh, probably eight, nine years ago. Prophecy wasn't anywhere like it is right now. And while I'm reading it, all of a sudden, and man, I mean, we're all listening. We're standing right there. You know, Judaism says you'll never fully understand the word of God till you read it where it was written. 
And that's true. There's a different anointing when you're standing in Israel. But there we are standing talking about the last of the last days. This is the second coming. And while I'm reading it, a sonic boom to boom. And I said, we're wailing and gnashing our teeth, man. I mean to tell you, scared, scared the bejeebers out of us. I thought that this was it. This was it. But we're closer now. Amen. So at the very end, all the nations of the world are in conflict. Somebody pushes the button. So I'm looking at this and I'm wondering, God, is this or is what's happening right now? I mean, this is tragic with Russia coming against Ukraine and threatening. He's He's threatening Israel. Before this, he flew his jets with the Syrian army who's vowed to destroy Israel over the Golan Heights and said Israel does not have a right to the Golan Heights. And we go on and on about this. But then I realize, I know, Lord, the wicked servant says the master delays is coming. But if we're reading Bible prophecy correctly, then we have seven years. Now, Seven years of things, well, let's just go do what we want to do. No, that could, that's seven years after the rapture. You don't want to miss the rapture. So I started praying about this, and I said, God, show me something. Let me ask you something. What is Bible prophecy? A lot of times when we think of Bible prophecy, we think of Daniel, we think of Ezekiel, we think of the prophets of the old, and we think... That God has said some God said something two, three, thirty five hundred years ago. And as we get closer, these prophecies are revealed. And that's true. But something that I want you to understand before I show you this is that God prophesies to us every day. God I, hopefully God prophesies to us every Sunday. And that we're having not a sermon, but a message from the kingdom of God. I, I, I pray, that's why I can't pattern myself, because I have to say what the Spirit is showing me. I have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. But God speaks to us. God prophesies to us every day. That's what Jesus is talking about. They have eyes, but they don't see. He's not talking about what they have eyes, but they don't see what was said 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. They have eyes, but they don't see what I'm saying right now. Prophecy is alive every day. I I love this, um, this quote. It says, there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is though everything is a miracle. I I love that, in that either there are no miracles today, or you realize everything is a miracle. You woke up this morning, it's a miracle. You breathe in, you breathe out, it's a miracle. The morning star was there, the sun came up, it's a miracle. The planets spin in order, it's a miracle. Leaves are starting to blossom. Flowers are starting to go. Grass is turning. Everything, you either live as there are no miracles or you live, and what a great way to live, as everything is a miracle. Looking for miracles all the time. Well, that's the same thing with prophecy. You know, I don't know if I told you this, I taught this, or I taught the staff. When Moses turned to see the burning bush, ancient Jewish wisdom said the bush didn't start burning the day Moses showed up, that bush was always burning. That's why it was holy ground. God was just waiting for someone who would see the miracle. So I'm praying about this. And I said, God, show me Bible prophecy for us today. How many know what the Torah portion is? How many know what the Torah, how many do not know what the Torah portion is? Raise your hand. Okay. Every week, you know, the biblical calendar is different than the world's calendar. And to put it simply, the world's calendar that we function every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, is goes by the sun. 
the biblical calendar goes by moons. And so that's why we have leap years and the, the holidays, you know, every, every year on our calendar, Christmas is December 25th. But Hanukkah, the festival of light, may be during Christmas. It may be two weeks before. It may be because the Bible goes by the moon. And so what we have is called a Torah portion, parashah. And this is a portion of scripture, according to the Bible calendar, we read every week. And so whatever the Torah portion is today, a year from now, it won't be the same because it's a different calendar. Does that make sense? It's not like, well, uh, every, every year on this week, this day, it's the same thing. No, because it's different. Why is that important? Because when we read the Torah portion, and most Christians don't even know to read the Torah portion. When we read the Torah portion, it's different every year. And so it is literally every week a divine message from God for where we are that day. It's a divine message. Say, well, the Bible's the Bible. The Bible is a living word. In other words, you could read one scripture today and it'll say something to you, but you could read that same scripture a month from now and it'll say something totally different because it's a living word. It's divine prophecy to where we are. Does that make sense? And so when you, when you open up, and it changes every Friday night on Shabbat. And so when you read the week's Torah portion, you're not just reading God's word, you're reading a divine prophetic message to where I am in my life right now, where the world is right now. Now watch this. Go with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 38. The week that Russia invaded Ukraine, this was the Torah portion for that week. I'm going to wait till everybody turns there. The week that Russia, two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, the week that Russia invaded Ukraine. Is this Armageddon? Well, if I were reading right, Armageddon won't take place until the second coming. So where are we on God's prophecy? The week that Russia invaded Ukraine, the Torah portion for that week was Exodus 38, 21 to the end of Exodus. Now, without getting into too much detail, this is this 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 is 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 called um, in Hebrew a reckoning. They have just finished building God a house. This is a prelude to the temple in Israel. They're in the wilderness, and God says, "Build me a home that I can live with you." That's what this is. This is the end of it. They're about, they're, they're, they're about to dedicate the house of God. And the Bible says at the very end of this, and maybe if we have time, we'll read it, says, and the cloud of God descended, and God's presence dwelt with the children of Israel as never before. Okay? So this is the Torah portion, the day Ukraine, the week Ukraine was invaded by Russia, starts in 21, chapter 38, 21. But what I want you to read is verse 26. Exodus 38, 26. And as I'm getting ready to read it, remember, in ancient Hebrew, there's no word for what? A beka for each man, that is a half shekel, According to the shekel of the sanctuary, for everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above, for 603,000 
550. So they've built the tabernacle, and God is giving a reckoning. He's doing a tally of everybody. This number that he gives here are those men who are of military age. And he says in the end, now remember, in the Torah, you can't remove one letter. And numbers in the Torah are specifically prophetic. And he says, the number is 603,550, right? Can you bring up Ukraine on the world data? Can you bring up Ukraine on the world data? World data information says Ukraine, region Eastern Europe, area 603,550. The Torah portion, when Russia invaded Ukraine, said the number that God counted was 603,550. What is God saying when there is no coincidence that this is the Torah portion and this is the size of Ukraine? God is saying, and the rabbis that I studied absolutely agree, that what God is saying is God is giving us through the Torah portion, through Ukraine, a prophetic message. He's saying, number one, just as God finished the tabernacle and his presence, his divine presence landed to live amongst God's people. He's saying, number one, we are very close to the promised land. We are very close to entering in to where Jesus will rule and reign. But before that happens, before that happens, He will come and his shadow for everyone who has eyes to see and ears to hear. His shadow, his anointing, his presence will cover us as never before. God is getting ready on those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. God is getting ready to tabernacle with his people once again as never before. We are in Purim. Wednesday and Thursday is Purim. When God turned the story of Esther and Mordecai and the children of Israel upside down, they went from death, a death sentence, to being released by a miracle of God going back into Jerusalem and building the temple and the tabernacle of God. The Torah portion for when Israel or when Ukraine was was invaded by Russia. The Torah portion is, I am going to come. And even though you're in the desert, even though there are enemies around you, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, I will come and I will release my shadow and my cloud of anointing on every one of you. And you are heading towards the the promised land. And I will lead you and I will guide you and I will teach you and I will protect you and I will provide for you for everyone who has eyes to see and ears to hear. Somebody ought to shout amen. You You can't make that up. You can't make that up. It would be one thing if we fed, okay, Ukraine is 603,550 kilometers, and then we went through somewhere and we tried to find 603,000. What are the odds of even finding something? But what are the odds of God saying in the middle of the desert, build me a place? What are the odds of that happening when we just studied the morning star? What are the odds of that happening when God says in the book of Esther, it may be in chaos, but I'm going to come around and turn the story upside down. What are the odds that Mordecai said to Esther, just as he says to you and I, for such a time as this, you have a mission. Keep doing what I've called you to do, and I will give you power over the nations. 
and I will give you the morning star. And God will say to every one of us, it may seem dark, but a new beginning is coming. Somebody ought to shout amen. Stand with me all over the building. I have 42 seconds. But I'm going to teach this anyway. The cloud that descended in this Torah portion. Remember, a Torah portion is a divine message for where we are that moment. This message has never been here in the history of the world. Never been here in the history of the world. I'm reading that. I wasn't even going to tell Tiz or Katie, but I, I needed the graphics up there. And I said, you guys, and we're sitting there, we're sitting, standing there in my kitchen. I said, let me guys show you something. Because there's no word for coincidence. You got to have eyes to see, folks. You got to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I believe this is the latter rain. This is the end time transfer of wealth. This is the signs and wonders. This is the gift of the Spirit. These are the offices of, of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. This is where songs will be sung and people will be healed and slain in the Spirit. This is God saying. You can't make this up. But let me close with this. And I, and I, I, told, I told Tiz and, and Katie, I said, I might just do a discipleship class at the end because I don't want to make this tainted, the revelation of this. But I've got I've to share it with you. There is, a, there is a teaching in Judaism called Kalal. And it means none of us are identities of our own. We are all part of a wholeness. We are all part of a wholeness. I don't know if you remember when that Chabad lady was calling out to Oric last week on The Voice and saying, don't, don't, say, don't say we're doing the best we can. Oi, this is Holocaust. This is Holocaust. Every one of us is responsible for every one of us. That's Kaal. That's, that's, that, that's, that's what, where the Lord said, we're a body jointly fit together. A hand can't say to a foot, I don't need you an elbow, elbow to a knee. Every one of us are part of the body of Christ. This, this Torah portion in Hebrew is called Pekudi, and it means a reckoning. It means a reckoning. And what it is, is that God calls Moses right before he descends, his presence descends on them and 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 is with them living with them god's presence not just visiting once in a while but god's god's presence living with us living with us and he brings it this is one of the most fascinating things and he starts calling everybody's name out and he says you brought this, and you did this, and you did that, and you did that. In, in a nutshell, that's why it's called the reckon, a reckoning, a reckoning. And it says every person did what they were supposed to do. Had one person been a glitch in the system, God's presence couldn't have lived there. If one person said, you know what, forget it, I'm, I'm, I, why, why, why should I do that? But because every part of the body was jointly fit together, God saw that unity. And where there is unity, God commands his blood. Where there is unity, God commands his blessing. That's what this whole Torah portion is about had one person maybe that one person was the one that was supposed to bring the nail and he didn't do it god said i can't i can't dwell yet everybody's got to do their part matter of fact it got to the point that he told moses tell him stop tell him stop we got way too much this is what i believe god is saying to us as new beginnings and and when we say new beginnings that includes all of us if one peace is missing you know i think one of the strategies of covid was to keep some of the pieces at home
The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, especially when we see that day approaching. Oh, my friend, now is not the time to stop coming to church. Now is the time to come to church. Now is the time to be a part of the body of Christ. Listen to this, and I close with this. read it in English um, each element everybody brought somebody, some brought gold some brought silver some brought skills some brought tapestry each nobody nobody didn't do what they're supposed to do but listen to this it says and, and I hope I translate it correctly it says each element fosters a personal revelation and a personal visit of divine presence In other words, it's not just God visiting the tabernacle, but because everybody did what they were supposed to do, God would bring divine revelation and divine presence and divine ministry and divine anointing to each one of us individually because we're doing it together. You know, when we talk about standing with Israel, I will bless those who bless you. We talk about reaching Jews and we talk about tearing down the walls and we talk about defeating anti-Semitism. We talk about giving the world the Jewish Jesus. And, you know, I, I understand. I understand. This is what I understand that Tiz and I write to, oh, I don't write check. John writes the check. I don't even know where the checkbook is, <laughs> which is a good thing. But it's you individually that's doing it. Every one of you is doing it. Every one of you. And so the prophetic word is, I'm in the last stages right before I build the tabernacle in Jerusalem. But before that, I'm going to come and dwell with you and my shadow will be upon you as never before. Truly, folks, our best is yet to come. How many can say amen? Amen. I don't know where this whole thing with Russia and Ukraine and the world, I don't know where all that is going, but I do know this. I'm preaching this in Jerusalem next week to government leaders. We stand with Israel, and when we stand with Israel, his divine presence is coming on us. Amen. I'm I'm seven minutes over, but let's pray. Can we pray? How many of you, look at me just a second. How many of you are in a situation that you say, Pastor, I need God to turn my story upside down. I need my, maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's in your health. Maybe it's in your finances, whatever it is. But can I, listen to me. The story of Purim is such an, everything looked impossible. Don't give up hope. Because God is ready now. But here's the thing. Not only to turn your story upside down, but he's ready to release his divine presence on us, our jobs, our business, our ministries, whatever it is, as never before. Truly, our best is yet to come. Amen. Tiz, come stand with me, would you please? Come stand with me. I want us to live. You know what? We're going to. And, and you know what? I, I believe greater is he that's in us than anything. Take your neighbor's hand. Yeah. Use, use, use hand cleanser afterwards. Or j- just spit on your hand and wipe it on your neighbor. <laughs> Lift up your neighbor's hand because we're in this together. Yeah. We're in this together. Amen? Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, I release that divine anointing on Purim, on this Moedim. To all of us in the building and all of us around the world, that, Father, whatever the enemy, whatever chaos the enemy is trying to bring, Father, you're going to turn it right now in Jesus' name upside down in every area. And, Father, I declare upon our lives, upon our destinies, on our prophetic callings, that you release your divine shadow on every one of us right now that we walk in the presence of God not just once in a while not just periodically but every moment of every day let us walk 
in divine presence, divine anointing, divine wisdom in Jesus' name. And Father, we count it done. We receive it. Let there be unity of white and black and young and old and brown of every ethnic background. Let there be unity. And Father, where there is unity, command your blessing in Jesus' name. And all God's people shouted, would you give the Lord a great big clap offering? Amen. You want to say something? Walk in divine anointing from this day forward. Folks, I pray, I pray that we have eyes to see and ears to hear. You can't, you can't make this up. 603,550. Not kind of close, right on the button. Because God is shouting, my best for you, for your family, for the kingdom of God is yet to come. Pray for next week, next week, Tiz will be teaching for the first time in two years. Now, I want to I wanna ask you to do something. Do me a personal favor. This is the first time since Tiz was diagnosed with cancer and has defeated cancer. This is the first time she's teaching. And I want you to do me a, a, a personal favor. Every one of you come out. And some of you are watching by stream. Take your jammies off and come out here and honor Tiz. Honor Tiz for being here. And... While you guys are here, I'll be speaking to governments in Jerusalem. Keep us in prayer. And like I said, Scott and I will be there in Israel on Purim. Yes. And we will go to the Western Wall and we will as close to the Holy of Holies as you can get. And we will claim divine presence and God will turn your story upside down and make you an example of the divine presence and blessing of God. You love the Lord? Give the Lord a clap offering.